Welcome to a PEDRA publication presentation. We are providing this presentation in audio format for the convenience of listening on the go. If you'd like to view the video version of this presentation, you have two options. You can follow the link to join and view in the PEDRA mobile app or follow the link to YouTube. Both are provided in the description of this podcast. Don't miss any of our educational content Make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast channel, as well as our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Yvonne Chu, and today I will be discussing my article, Body Site Distribution of Pediatric Onset Morphia, an Association with Extracutaneous Manifestations. So let's start with what is morphia. Morphia is a rare autoimmune fibrosing disease of the skin and the deeper tissues. It characteristically causes some hardened areas of the skin, as well as some areas of redness and inflammation. Morphia affects children and adults with two peaks of onset, one around 10 years of age and one around 45 years old. The pathogenesis of morphia is poorly understood. It is thought that there is some form of genetic predisposition which then gets triggered by something such as injury to the skin, resulting in abnormalities of the blood vessels of the body, and then the release of proteins in the body that cause inflammation and fibrosis. And ultimately, this inflammation dies down and then morphia becomes quiet again. Morphia is categorized into five types, the circumscribed type, or sometimes called plaque morphia, linear morphia, generalized morphia, mixed morphia, which includes any of the preceding types, and then pansclerotic morphia. Morphia can be associated with extracutaneous manifestations. So for example, linear morphia on the head has been known to be associated with abnormalities of the brain, eyes, as well as the dentition. Linear morphia on the limbs is known known most commonly to cause abnormalities in the muscles and bones. So why study this topic? The distribution of morphia lesions on the body were largely unknown. We didn't really understand whether morphia preferentially affects certain sites of the body. And also, does the distribution of morphia lesions on the body vary by the type of morphia you have? We also wanted to find out whether or not the risk for extracutaneous manifestations varied by the exact site on the body, such as the exact site on the head and neck. So for example, in a skin disorder called face syndrome, the researchers found that hemangiomas on certain parts of the face had a higher risk for being associated with abnormalities of the brain and heart. And for example, this infant here with a hemangioma in the S1 distribution tended to have higher risk. So the specific aims of our study were to characterize the distribution of linear, plaque, and generalized morphia lesions in childhood onset morphia, and also determine if certain locations of linear morphia were risk factors for extracutaneous manifestation. So our study, this was a retrospective study, which means that we went back and looked at charts of patients seen at 14 different sites across the United States, Canada, and Mexico. 
We use a customized web-based software to do our study. We reviewed the photographs of patients that we had in the medical record at each site, and we drew their morphia lesions onto standardized diagrams. We also collected demographic information about each patient and clinical data and entered that into a REDCap database. We collected information about patients' neurologic findings, whether or not they had any neurologic testing such as MRI, CT, or EEG, musculoskeletal manifestations that they could have such as arthritis, and then also whether or not they had eye findings like uveitis. We ended up enrolling 823 patients with 2,522 lesions of morphia. What we found was that female sex um, was more common, that girls tend to have morphia more commonly than boys, and this is well known in other studies as well, and that also in childhood onset morphia, linear morphia was the most common, and again, we knew this from prior studies. We did find in the study that the trunk was the most commonly affected site, that about 43% of lesions were found on the trunk, compared to 28% on a lower extremity, 12% on an upper extremity, and 17% on the head and neck. However, when we looked at body surface area and the contribution of that to the body, certain patterns emerged. So for example, we know that the trunk is the largest part of the body. Were we seeing more lesions of morphia on the trunk only because that's the biggest body site we have? And what happened is when you actually accounted for body surface area, we found that linear morphia was three times as likely to affect the head and neck as it was compared to the trunk. In contrast, circumscribed and generalized morphia were two to five times more likely to affect the trunk compared to other parts of the body. We also found that morphia was more likely to affect certain parts of the face and extremities and trunk. So for example, morphia was more commonly found on the upper face compared to the lower face and more commonly found on the extensor surfaces of the extremities compared to the flexor surfaces of the extremities. Your extensor surfaces are the backs of the arms and the fronts of the legs, whereas the flexor surfaces are the inside of the arms and the backside of your legs. We did not find much of a difference between the left and right upper and lower extremities and no difference between having lesions on the front of your trunk versus the back of your trunk. We also did find that patients with linear morphia had the highest rates of extracutaneous involvement. This was something that we knew. You can see in these graphs here that patients with linear morphia, as marked with the gray bars, had higher rates of extracutaneous manifestations compared to those with circumscribed morphia, which are the blue, and generalized morphia, which is the red. You will see that for musculoskeletal manifestations and overall that mixed morphia had the highest rates of having involvement within the body outside of just the skin. And that is because mixed morphia patients oftentimes have linear morphia combined with another subtype of morphia, which is why they may have the same level of risk for extracutaneous involvement as linear morphia. 
We also looked to see whether certain sites had a stronger association with extracutaneous manifestations. So you will see in the top row the left versus right extremity. And when you looked at the odds of having something on the left compared to the right extremity, it was 1.5 times more likely to have it on the left side of the body. However, this, this did not reach statistical significance. Same thing when you looked at the left versus right side of the head at the very bottom of this chart. There was really no difference in odds of having it on the left versus right side of the head. However, looking at extensor versus flexor extremity, you are two times as likely to have extracutaneous manifestations if your morphia was on the back of the arm or the front of the leg compared to the opposite side of the arm or leg. Also, comparing the front of the head to the back of the head, you were 2.8 times more likely to have extracutaneous manifestations if your morphia was on the front of your head. And comparing the top or superior part of the head compared to the bottom or inferior part of the head, you were 2.3 times as likely to have extracutaneous manifestations if the morphia was on the upper part of your head. So in conclusion with this study, we found that morphia lesions are not randomly distributed on the body, that they preferentially seem to affect certain areas, and that distribution was affected by the type of morphia you had. And we also found that certain body sites did have a higher risk of extracutaneous manifestations, and that will help us as physicians know when to have more worry about a patient and extracutaneous manifestations depending on where their morphia lesions are on the body. This study could not have been done without my collaborators, so I'd like to thank all the co-investigators who are listed here, as well as PEDRA for providing the grant funding to conduct the study. Thank you so much for your time today.